You're listening to the Library Pros Podcast with Chris and Bob, a techie librarian and a computer IT guy discussing libraries, technology, and all things this side of the reference desk. Hi, and welcome to episode number two of the Library Pros Podcast. Thanks, Carl, for your introduction. Uh, my name is Chris, and Bob is usually my guest, but uh, I think he got caught up in some wires somewhere, and he couldn't make the podcast today. No, actually, his, his kids are sick, so he wasn't able to uh, appear today. But today, we have a very exciting podcast, because we actually took the podcast on the road. We're, today, we're coming to you from, the, from Canton, New York, which is about, what, 15 miles from the Canadian border? It's, it's a little closer. A <laughs> little, little closer than that. <laughs> okay, so we are at the Canton Free Library. If this is the first time listening uh, to our podcast, thank you for coming. The Library Pros podcast is produced monthly, and we're going to try to do it bi-monthly. Uh, so check us out, and don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, iTunes, Android, email, and pretty soon I hear Google Play will be putting uh, podcasts up there. So uh, we're pretty excited about that. Links from anything we talk about today, that if there is a link, will be found on our website, www.thelibrarypros.com. And don't forget, too, there's a player right in the uh, website, so you can actually listen to the podcast right from the website, and it'll work on an iPhone, it'll work on Android, it'll work on any tablet. So long as you have a web browser, you can listen to us on the website. And for notes and links from today's show, be sure to check out our website, which I just said, and Twitter, at The Library Pros, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash the library pros. So today I'm really excited because we have um, Emily Owen, who is the director of the Canton Free Library, along with Krista Briggs, the young adult services specialist here at the Canton Free Library. So hi, Emily. Hi, Krista. How are you? Hi there. Hi. Thank you for coming to Canton. Oh, thanks for having me. This is really exciting. So today we're going to be talking about um, the history of the Canton Free Library and um, the recently discovered connection between Canton and myself. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, I wanted to talk to Emily and Krista a little bit about the Canton Library so everyone can learn a little bit about um, the library itself and what it's like to be a library here in the North Country in uh, northern New York. Um, so tell me a little bit about the library's beginnings. How did, uh, how did it begin? Um, well, our library is a little bit over 100 years old. And um, I realize this is the first podcast I've ever done. So I'm kind of treating this like homework, and it's making me kind of nervous because I've only been here for two years, and I haven't really memorized our library history yet. That's okay. I won't <laughs> hold you to it. <laughs> um, but we were started as a women's library association. Um, so in New York State, uh, free association libraries are um, usually private groups of individuals, and that's what happened in this case. We used to be in a municipal building way back in the late 1890s, and then um, we were, um, there was an endowment created, and we built this lovely building that we're in now, which was built in 1907. It's right in downtown Canton, which is a small town, and um, part of why we're here is because of the connection between the library pros and the person who uh, built this building. Her name yeah. was Emma Benton. It's really cool. I, I, I can't wait to start talking about that. It's, <laughs> it's such a, f a fun coincidental thing. But um, So tell me a little bit about yourself. When did you start here at Canton? Well, I started here in 2013. I have been sort of connected with the library for a little longer than that, um, even before I went to library school. So um, Krista and I actually started working here in the same year, I think, which was... Uh, 
2006? I think so. Yeah. And we, uh, the library was undergoing a really big renovation at that time, and we were both clerks. Yep. And the library was actually closed for most of the time that I was actually working yep. here. <laughs> um, there, was, there was a lot of dust and boxes. Boxes of books. <laughs> um, but, of course, I've stayed in touch with the library ever since then, and Krista has been here as our teen coordinator and young adult specialist uh, pretty much ever since then, I think. Yep. Um, I don't remember what year you grew into the teen position, but it was pretty shortly thereafter that. 2008, Okay, I believe. Yeah, that was, was pretty cool. It was actually created for Krista. We didn't have a teen specialist, and she uh, just kind of created that department. <laughs> That's great, because I know that young adults, it's a, it's a really big up-and-coming section in, mm -hmm. for libraries, and a population that, that yeah. was underserved for a really long time, because you either went straight from children's to adults, or there was nothing in between. Yeah, it was really kind of lost, uh, especially in a lot of small libraries. People would talk about doing children's services and then just completely losing those kids. There's not a lot to do in a small town, so they were kind of just neglected. Um, and yeah. we've got a really loyal teen group here. It's really, really neat. That is, that's, that's, it, it, and I, honestly, I think it's something that um, is in any community, really. I mean, I can't yeah. speak towards city life, but mm -hmm. even down on Long Island, you know, kids get bored really easily. Yeah. And what do they do when they get bored? Sometimes they get into some, some trouble. It's true. So it's nice that libraries are a place that kids can come to and, you know, do some constructive things, too. Okay, so um, how many employees roughly do you have? We have 13 on staff here, including our branch manager, who takes care of both our branches. We have two small branches in, in sort of rural areas within our town. Wow, that's, uh, it, it, it's really, it, it, what's funny for me is that, you know, it's such a difference between downstate New York libraries and upstate New York libraries. And as much as I anticipated hearing the types of things, because we were speaking earlier, uh, that you were telling me, there were some things that, that still surprised me. <laughs> Um, it's a different world. <laughs> it, it is a different world, and you know, and it's not necessarily better or worse. It's just nope. different. Yep. And, exactly. And there's something to be said about small town. You yep. know, it, it's something that you know, I, I think it's a more relaxed environment. Than, you know, it's not less less hustle and bustle and things like that. I think so. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny because we're considered one of the larger libraries in our system. Mm -hmm. um, so, like having 13 people on staff among three buildings is kind of that's that's exciting not a lot for, yeah. it's not a lot but we're kind of looked at as like one of the big libraries in the county wow. because a lot of libraries are run by just one person or you know might be two people but they might not overlap at the same time so really it's just one person in the building wow one person in the building mm -hmm. wow that's a that's an interesting concept <laughs> there was just two here today technically wow yeah so, so tell me a little bit about um the patron base do you I'm not going to ask you to say exactly how many people you serve but overall the the people that live in do they call them library districts here we are not a district we're a straight-up association um, so our service area population is our town um, and coming from Long Island I know the towns might be bigger right and you. it's loosely based on school district yeah borders you're probably broken down a little bit um, more to villages and so on and school right. districts um, but for us we serve our entire town which is pretty good sized um, the population of the town is around 10,000 and our patron base is about 8,600 so we actually have a pretty good chunk of 
of that population, especially when you consider that travel is an issue. Right. Um, it can take a bit to get from one side of our town to the other compared to Long Island. Sure. Um, well, you know, <laughs> that, as, yeah, as you were telling me that, I'm thinking, well, what happens, like, so I can say what happens on Long Island if there's a community without a library. If there's a community, like, let's say there's a library, a, a town that's halfway between Canton and, I don't know, I don't know the other name, maybe let's say, mm -hmm. I don't know, Fort Drum, because right. those communities that don't have their own library, do they have to pay a fee to come and use your library, or is it all free, or what do they, do they even get a library card? Uh, no, there's no fee. Um, they can get a library card. We, we issue library cards to people outside of our town or village. Um, we actually have a, a system-wide library card that's usable really? in, in any of the libraries in the North Country. So you get a North Country library card. You don't yep. get a Canton-free library card. Nope. That's correct. That's interesting. Yeah, we call it a universal card system, and one of the things that it kind of destroys is the, the identity of having a home library. Um, that can be a nice thing because it shows that we're really cooperative, and it can also create funding issues because our libraries are funded locally, but mm -hmm. everybody can use the resources. So when there's a difference between funding levels at different libraries, they're there isn't a way to restrict access to just the taxpayers from that area. Okay. Right. That's, that's, that is kind of an interesting concept mm -hmm. because, and, and again, I'm going to keep drawing comparisons because I'm familiar with downstate. Mm -hmm. And um, the libraries that I'm affiliated with, either my home library or the library I work at, where it's kind of unique because they, not only do they have a library card, they have an app. So that's I was cool. just, as you were speaking, you probably saw me reaching into my wallet and reaching oh. looking for my library card. Yeah, I'm a really bad librarian. <laughs> I don't have a li I don't have my library cards on me. Then I thought to myself, well, I don't because I have an app for Sachem really cool. and an app for Connectquat, and the library card is actually on the app. Wow! So That's all I really have to cool. do is pull up the app, <laughs> and it pulls up the barcode, the the literal barcode, and they can scan it with one of the the two D three D scanners. The hand scanners. And that's through your library, not like through a third party or? Each library can choose, uh, well, they have a right. contract out for it. Like here's, this is really good for radio. I'm showing them something. <laughs> uh, where am I? Here's card, and there's the card. So and what I'm showing them is on the app. It shows the actual barcode with the number. So if for some reason it doesn't get scanned, they can put the number in. That's really cool. I haven't heard of people doing that through their library. Um, no, I have a third-party app that yeah. I do that with, and I have my library card on it. Something like Keyring really or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can do it with that too. Yeah, it's a really nice service that comes yeah. from the library. Well, it's that. it's actually contracted. Each library can yeah. contract with someone, and and the big um, the big company that usually does apps is uh, Boopsy. Yep. But this is not a Boopsy product. This is another company. Oh, interesting. So okay. So you know, you contract with them, and and then they they configure the. Um, the app the way you want it to look. So it really is kind of a neat thing. It's very nice. Um, but it, it is interesting here that there's one library card for the yep. for the whole for the whole North Country then. Mm -hmm. so, Four county area. So explain to me exactly now I know what North Country mm -hmm. means because I come upstate from time to time, but can you explain to those people who maybe are not from New York what mm -hmm. North Country means? North Country the North Country region. Um, the North Country is sort of the uppermost uh, north part of New York State. Um, New York State is a large and diverse state. Um, 
weather-wise, people-wise, finance-wise. That's true. And upstate New York is usually sort of considered kind of everything north of the New York metro area. Um, And we are basically north of the cities of Syracuse and Albany, maybe. Um, could kind of consider that north. So country how far south? How far south does a North Country system? North Country Library System covers four counties in sort of the eastern part of northern New York. If you're looking at it on a map, um, the counties are Jefferson, Lewis, Oswego, and Saint Lawrence. Um, Saint Lawrence is at least one of the biggest counties in New York, if not the biggest, um, and it is a. a geographic region that I'm told is the size of the state of Connecticut. It's covered by our library system. So those of you who live in Connecticut. (laughs) Please (laughs) fact check this. Um, And we have in our library system, I think we have only three delivery vans that cover that region. Seriously. Basically every day. And they cover, they do everyday delivery, pick up and drop off. We don't have daily delivery. We have delivery three times a week. Um, We have only one library that has daily delivery in the system. Um, but those vans are on the road every single day. And, and is there a, a central library that's that, or is it like, like again, comparing it to Suffolk County, sure. we have the Suffolk County Library Service, where it's not an actual. Well, it is a library that people mm-hmm. can visit, but it's not associated with a particular district. Does that do they have that something here? I'm not actually familiar with that because we're not really that district related. Um, mm-hmm. We have two what they call central libraries, which are the ones that get state funding for nonfiction. Okay. Um, they're in Ogdensburg and Watertown, and our system headquarters are in Watertown. So you could sort of think of Watertown, which is Jefferson County, as the center of the system, but we're really far flung. It really takes uh, some people travel two hours to get to a workshop that's supposedly centrally located. Two hours. Yeah. It's pretty far. <laughs> wow. The, and again, this is, as much, as much as our podcast is going to be about a bunch of different things today, one thing I think that is really kind of interesting is the difference between upstate and downstate. Because we're cousins, basically. Right. We're, you know, it, New York City is kind of their own thing. Long Island is kind of their own thing. And then upstate, meaning, okay, if you're from New York, upstate doesn't mean Westchester. <laughs> Uh, north of Westchester. <laughs> I think they're kind of north of Westchester. I was driving for a long time to get here. So, um, you know, it, it is interesting to see, and we were talking about it before, too, like the Adirondacks, where there's mm-hmm. one librarian who runs the whole building, and they do the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they've been there for 60, 70, 80, you know, 200 years. You know, I think they're <laughs> turtles. Um, you know, as opposed to here, where you're not, and again, for those of you who aren't from New York, the Adirondack Park is kind of different. It is part of upstate New York, but they have extra rules put on them because of the Adirondack Park Agency where there's a lot of things they cannot do with regard to development and um, infrastructure unless it gets approved by the Adirondack Park Agency. And that's because the Adirondack Park is literally a New York State park, but people live in it. And it's it's humongous. I think it's almost one-third of the entire state. Really large. So just to be clear, Canton is not in the park. They're west of the park. No, we only have, I think, two libraries in our system that are technically within the park, Mm -hmm. Um, and one of them is a reading room. Okay. So what's interesting to say also is a lot of people in the park do not have high-speed Internet. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's either satellite, which is almost like having cell phone service or data on your, your cell phone where you have to pay for a certain amount of data per month. Um, the rates aren't the same, but it's the same concept. Or you're still using dial-up. 
mm-hmm. which is hello 1989. <laughs> Now, that's something that we don't have in our library, but we do know that some of our patrons have that. Right. Um, because it can be just a little bit outside of towns, and your Internet access can just really go down. Right. Really so you do have, okay, I'm putting quote signs up in my hands, high-speed Internet, because we talked about this before, the, the qualification for high-speed has changed. Yeah, uh, we technically do. We're not happy with the speed. We'd like it to be faster. Right. (laughs) But you do have fiber optics, some kind of, you have a a T3 coming in the building or? Don't know that we have that. No. I'm not the person to ask about that, though. (laughs) You you have a direct internet connection that goes out to the web. Okay. So it's not, yeah, okay. So that's kind of like a T1, T3 line, depending on the speed and the kind of connection. Bob, that's why we need you, Bob. (laughs) Um, So, uh, let's see. Uh, I think you're answering most of my questions. This is great. Um, so tell me about the, the technology that you have here in the building. And again, I'm not going to ask about, you know, super technical things. Do you have Wi-Fi available for the public? We do. You do? Uh, we absolutely do. We have that in all three of our branches. Okay. Now, with regard to your catalog for your collection, is it web-based? I mean, is it, is it, first of all, it's computer-based, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. What's the, what kind of uh, service do you have? We use Cersei. You use Cersei. Yep. Okay. Um, and our system, again, does a lot of the work on that end. They, they're very involved in that and um, really take good care of us in that regard. Our system rarely goes down. Having worked on Long Island, I remember that the system would sometimes go down. Yes. And this... It, it From time to time, we have issues, even with the new <laughs> network. It, it, hey, things happen. Yeah. And it... Unfortunately, Suffolk County is, is kind of a, it's a zebra. Yeah. It, it's not exactly a horse. It's not exactly, you know, a donkey or anything else in between. It's, it's kind of its own unique thing because it's a consortia. Mm-hmm. So we're not all linked together into one budget. We're not branches, mm-hmm. and we're independent en- entities. So it's very hard for the, the surface that we use. We use Sierra, which is, uh, mm. it's the newest, for, it used to be Millennium. Yep. Uh, so system. Yeah, from the system. So they... Um, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard for them to make it work right all the time. Yep. Um, so, it, and again, it's a little bit different with regard to volume, too. Mm-hmm. Definitely, yeah. Right. Um, so cataloging, do you catalog here in the building? We have a full-time tech, per- or tech services person. She's not full-time. She's 30 hours a week, um, but close to. And she does our processing. Uh, original cataloging gets sent to the system. Okay, so you, do, you don't do the original cataloging? No. So do you have a Baker and Taylor account? Use Baker and Taylor? Uh, we use Broadart. Broadart. Okay. So then, because Baker and Taylor has this thing where they, they process everything ahead of time. Yeah. And no some people mean. like it and some people don't like it. So it's, I think it's more than a control thing. It's just mm-hmm. about making things the right way. And, you know, some people like it, some people don't. Yeah. Okay. So I think we've learned a lot about Canton. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to add? A little plug or something for your library? Oh, it's a fantastic library. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. It's a beautiful library. It's an old old building, 1908, right? You said? Uh, it started building in 1907. 1907. It was finished in 1908. Yeah. And um, the woodwork is beautiful in the ceiling, and it's a beautiful yeah, building. It's a classic. It's, it is. Canton has quite a few nice downtown buildings, but we're certainly um, definitely one of the historic ones. It's really, it's nice. really, really cool. Mm-hmm. So it, it's really nice that, you know, you had us come up, us meaning me, because Bob is out, out today. Um, but uh, I, I was really flattered that you had asked, asked uh, us to come up, and I thought it would really be fun to do the podcast from up here. Um, and so 
we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the original reason why I actually came up to Canton. So after the short break, we're going to disclose the, uh, the real reason why I came up. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Keisha just joined us. We are up at the Canton Free Library in Canton, New York, in northern New York State in the North Country. And we're here with Emily Owen, the director of <coughs> the Canton Library, excuse me, along with Krista Briggs, the YA services specialist here at the library. So uh, tell us a little bit about why we're up here today to visit you guys. Well, uh, today was our Living Library event, and um, this is something that we started last year. Um, it's basically a way for us to give voice to the unwritten stories in our community, and we gather um, what we call living books into the library for our patrons to um, essentially check out, to sit and have conversations and learn about the experiences and knowledge of these people um, that otherwise, otherwise would have gone unheard. Okay, that sounds really cool. So, um, I know we talked briefly about the history uh, in the last segment, uh, and we kind of laid a little bit of groundwork to talk about, you know, the, the, the big thing, the big thing, the big event that we had here uh, earlier today. Um, so let's talk about, um, it was called Living Library, right? Yes, and this year we focused on uh, local history which included a really amazing chance encounter with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you found these photos that yes. were linked to the origin of our library. Yeah, it really was a, a matter of um, just circumstance, really, a, a chance, or I don't know how you want to put it. Uh, my father um, had bought a footlocker, uh, an old-fashioned footlocker from somebody he worked with, in, in Queens, New York, and it, when he took the Foot Locker home, there were all these papers and photos in, in there, and he kind of looked at them and thought they were interesting. There were some wills and uh, teaching certificates from the 1880s, 1890s, uh, and a whole bunch of photos. And he thought it was interesting, and he spent some time looking at them, and then he put them in a box and put them in the basement. And they've been sitting in the basement probably from about 1979 or 1980, until the spring of last year. Um, for those of you who don't know, I'm a little bit of a history buff, and my dad has a desk in his basement, because every man, if you have a basement, you have to have a desk in the basement <laughs> to escape the kids and everything else. And he had a picture of a World War I doughboy. It was an original picture. And I thought, wow, 
let me see if there's anything on this picture that I could maybe identify this guy with and go to Ancestry and sharpen my Ancestry skills a little bit and, and take a look. Because Ancestry, for most libraries in Suffolk County, and I know here as well, uh, Ancestry is free to use for anyone who is a cardholder. Now, um, so I said, you know, because I do help people with Ancestry from time to time, but I wasn't as versed in it as I'd like to be. So I took the picture, and I was lucky enough to see that there was a name on the back of the picture. So I, excuse me, put it into uh, Ancestry and found not only that this person was a real person, it was his name, I found his uh, registration card with the Army, all his service records, which division he served with, whether or not he served overseas, his discharge paperwork. And then from there, I was able to search and look at the, uh, the census uh, entries for him. I found the a census entry from 1940. So I came back to my dad and said, guess what I found? And I showed him all of these different uh, facts about this one particular individual. And he was kind of blown away by it. But then he said, you know, with this little sly smirk on his face, he goes, oh, really? I want to show you something. Let's see what you can do with this. So we go down into his basement, and he pulls a box out. And the box looked like it was probably from the late 70s, early 80s. And it was filled with teaching, all these teaching certificates and uh, pictures. And some of them were even in like a little folio, a little booklet. And there were, you know, there were a lot of really cool things. I said, oh, well, let me see what I can do with this. So I brought it home, and I kind of sat in my basement for a couple of days. And then I started to look at them and look at the pictures. And the pictures all had names on the back, written in pencil. And the teaching certificates had this one particular name, Spalding, on it, which was the, this person who was a teacher. Come to find out, I bring it to work at the library I was working at at the time. And my really good friend and local history librarian, um, Melanie Cardone, who will be a guest on this podcast in the next month or so, uh, really got excited. Now, for Melanie to get excited about something like this means that this is something special. So what we did was we, on a Friday night, we opened it all up and we put piles. Okay, this is this person, this is that person, this is this person. And then we went into Ancestry and we each took a name and we started pulling all of this information out and found out that these people are all related, obviously, and some of them... Uh, journeyed to uh, Minnesota. We found out one of the siblings died in Minnesota, and some people stayed behind because she was buried there. And some went on to San Francisco. And at least one person in one of the pictures, uh, who was an elderly gentleman when the picture was taken, was a stagecoach driver during the gold rush in San Francisco. But here's where it gets interesting. There was one picture of a plaque, and it had something to do with the Benton family dedicating a building to the Canton Free Library. So we looked at each other and said, Canton, I bet you it's in Ohio. <laughs> we get so many calls for them. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so we looked it up and we found, wait a minute, it's Canton, New York. So the next thing we did, because Melanie and I are both geeks, we went to Google, Google Maps, put in Canton Free Library, came up, we looked at the street level photo of it, and what's mounted on the front of the building? So we looked at each other, and we said, oh, crap. 
I can't believe we found this. This is amazing. <laughs> like, this is it, this is it. Zoom in on it, zoom in, zoom in. Is that it, is that it? That looks like it, could it be it? Is that it, is that it? Oh, you have to, Melanie says, oh, you have to email them now. Email them right now. <laughs> email them right, we have to take care of this, right? This is, this is amazing. So I emailed the library through, I guess it's just your website, mm -hmm. right? There's yep. a contact us page or? Yep. Just or, came through the contact us link. And I got an email back from, from Emily. And mm -hmm. next thing you know, um, we're getting the box up to Canton, New York. And it was actually another circumstance. Uh, it was just another coincidence that one of your employees was coming down to Middle Island, New York, where I was working at the time, and just happened to be less than five miles away. <laughs> I think there was a handoff that involved a bottle of whiskey in exchange for the box. <laughs> <laughs> if there was whiskey, I didn't get it. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, you know. But uh, yeah, that transaction happened, and then I got some really cool emails saying that you were handing it off to uh, She's a historian, right? Yeah, I contacted our local historian because I felt like, well, this is about the library, but because it's a local family, it's really more of the town historian's purview. Um, but before I sort of got them over to her, we started looking at them. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, my assistant director's husband got interested in them and was just sort of poking through, looking through the photos. We knew there was a local connection, but he, you know, he just sort of, started to try and figure out where things were happening. As he was looking at the photos, he thought one of the houses looked familiar. So he actually started driving down the road that he lives on <laughs> and was able to identify a neighboring house of his from the photo that was probably taken around turn of the century. Apparently the house still looks almost the same. That's amazing. Um, it's sort of changed slightly. Um, and so he was able, able to find that this family lived in his neighborhood. Um, wow. So <laughs> actually, uh, neighbors of theirs. And he also found some places that were uh, located right in our downtown area. Well, see, the, and I, what I find the interesting part is the teaching certificates mm -hmm. were all from the New York City school system and specifically Boys High School in Brooklyn. So I said to myself, where is the connection? Canton is, I mean, they almost speak French. That's how far north it is. They don't really <laughs> don't speak don't French speak here, but, but, you know, <laughs> that's how far north they were. And here's these teaching certificates for a teacher who taught at Boys High School in Brooklyn. Where's the connection? And that's where it really started to get interesting because the name that was all over the place was Spalding, but yet there was the plaque that said Benton. So do you know anything about what the connection is? Well, I hadn't known anything about this Spalding connection. Our building has been called the Benton Building. Actually, rather uniquely, we used to have two boards. Our building was important enough that it had its own board <laughs> of trustees. It was called the Benton Board. Um, so I knew that as a name that was connected, and I knew that um, there was a woman named Emma Benton who had uh, built this building in memory of her husband, Walter. Um, but the Spalding connection turned out to actually be sort of more important because the reason this woman, Emma Benton, um, knew about our library at all was because of her niece, um, Eva Spalding. And this Eva was a Canton native and very instrumental in starting the library up. So she was the one who saw the need for a building and asked her wealthy family to help out on that. And then it ended up being um, the entire building being built in uh, memory of Walter. 
Um, so this Spalding connection is really uh, one of the founding families. The Spaldings really are a founding family of the Canton Free Library. That really is crazy. Really, really cool. It, it's really <laughs> neat, right? <laughs> what I found interesting, too, was that when I was speaking to, um, to Guy, mm -hmm. your assistant director's husband, the historian, he uh, showed me some excerpts from a book that had a picture of, I, I forget what Mr. Benton's name was, who had passed, who's the Walter, building, Walter. Walter Benton, yeah. There was a picture of him in the book that was exactly the same picture that I had had in that box. So we cool. had speculated whether or not it was a lith, that the picture in the book was part of a lithograph because of the um, quality, it wasn't as good probably. as the, the actual picture that I had in the box. Okay. So I found that kind of interesting and weird at the same time. Because <laughs> the, the way they took pictures back then wasn't, you know, going and, you know, taking a 35 millimeter mm -hmm. picture and having a negative. They had, um, like, plates, glass plates that were the negatives. So maybe because they had a lot of money, they were able to print a lithograph or multiple copies of it. Mm. But for it to make a book and being in a box in my dad's basement <laughs> was really kind of a unique thing. And I think what we sort of figured out was that the Spalding who went to New York was the brother of the Eva Spalding who uh, started the library. Okay. I think that's kind of what we came up with, but he was apparently a quite well-known teacher. And it sounds like his family uh, went down to Brooklyn and stayed there, and this was their family photos. It's amazing. It's great. I, well, I, and what was, you know, uh, there was a little bit more to the story with my, my dad and, and the box. So I do all the research and find out all of these different things and find out that Spalding had sons and daughters. I couldn't track down the daughters. I guess it's a little harder because when they get married, their names change. And if you don't know what the name is, they kind of fall off the radar. Mm -hmm. So I followed the one son who served in World War I in one way, shape, or form. And then I found his kids. And he had, I think, and don't quote me, I think it was one son, one daughter, but it may be more than that. And I was able to trace one son, and uh, he was a baker, and he worked in a bakery across from Jamaica Station. Uh, now, if anyone isn't familiar with the Long Island Railroad, Jamaica Station is a major hub in the Long Island Railroad network. Almost all trains, with the exception, I think, of the Port Washington branch, I'm going way too local now, <laughs> uh, go through the Jamaica Station hub. And Jamaica Station's been there since the 1880s, 1890s. And then everybody gets dispersed from there into the tunnels to go into Manhattan or to get sent out to Flatbush, Brooklyn. His bakery, where, I don't know if he owned it or he just worked there, was across the street from that uh, railroad, from that railroad station. And the other thing that was interesting was um, in the 1940 census, it had his street address in Queens. So after I found that out, I went up to my, my father and I said, you know, Dad, if I can give you the address of where you bought the footlocker from, would you remember it? And my dad's kind of, you know, I wouldn't say grumpy, but he's like, ah, I don't know. It was a long time ago. How am I supposed to know? I said, well, what section of Queens was it in? And he said the section of Queens, and I don't recall. I think it was Astoria. I could be wrong. Uh, and he described it, the house as a house kind of like you see in the intro to the uh, All in the Family um, <laughs> show, if you remember back in the 70s where all the houses kind of looked the same. He says it was one of those houses. I said, okay, I'm going to throw a street at you. And I gave him the street. He goes, yeah, wait a minute. Yeah, th that was the street it was on. So I was actually able to make a direct connection between the trunk with the pictures and a person who was a family member of that family. 
So if you know anything about collecting, there's something called provenance, where you have the, the history or the lineage of the item that the person collects. Well, we have direct provenance based upon the census record of the pictures going back and being connected to that family. So cool. It is so neat, isn't it? I think this story is just a great illustration of how geeky librarians can get about libraries. Because oh, yeah. the fact that you connected this to our library, I think, is, is quite a testament. Because there wasn't a lot that really related us within this entire box to, to it being a library. See, you said geeky. I was <laughs> thinking magical. <laughs> both. I'll because take both. I could, I could really picture this going the other way. We would have been exactly as excited oh, yes. about a connection yes. to another library. It kind of <laughs> proves that I believe librarians are, are uh, wizards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. We're all wizards. That's great. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> wizards, magicians. Yep. You know, it's like whenever... Um, you help a, an older person with technology, they think it's magic. Mm. So I think you're right. I think we are wizards. We're wizards. It, it is true. We are wizards. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I do have to give credit to, to my friend Melanie, though, because she was the one that knew exactly where to start. And we'll give her props in the next, I think she's appearing, I think, in two or three episodes. So And she's an excellent um, his, his, historian, uh, archivist, uh, local history librarian. So she gets a lot of credit for, for helping out with this, too. So She's welcome to come up here anytime. Oh, and, you know, I, <laughs> as a little aside, I took pictures of where I had stayed last night. And I think before I even texted them to my wife and kids, I texted it to her. <laughs> <laughs> and I think her one comment was, oh, I need to get back up there. <laughs> She come up. We can have another podcast. I think, well, yeah, we'll have a podcast. We'll have a field trip. Field trips are great. I love field trips. Great to see other libraries. She sounds like a Hermione to me. <laughs> Harry she, Potter week's coming up this summer. She, she and she is that kind of person. Hermione's the best. Gotta love it. That's excellent. She's also a big Star Wars geek. Nice. <laughs> We've got a few of those on staff. Yes, excellent. we do. Excellent. That's great. So you know it. I think the, the nice tie into libraries is that if we, I mean, first of all, Ancestry is an amazing resource. But if the library didn't provide Ancestry for free, being the geek that I am, I probably would have joined to get a free <laughs> trial just to see if there was something. But the idea that the library made this database, which is quite expensive, accessible to the public, not just to staff, that you know, I think it is, it's a testament to what libraries can provide for people. And whether you're in the North Country or down on the island or in Nebraska somewhere, you know, it, it is such a good tool and resource. And I always, I'm always the person that's talking about libraries as community centers. And we're more than just books. And uh, we had this conversation earlier. Uh, you know, it is important for us to know that we are more than just a place where people check books out and take out DVDs. We provide other databases and services, and Ancestry is a great example of that. Yeah. And I, I can only speak for what uh, my experience is, that I have no problem jumping in when somebody comes in and says, I have a picture. How do I find out about this picture? And if there's any evidence on the picture, you know, jump right into Ancestry or, you know, and jump in and help them. Not do it for them, but show them how to do it, and then maybe assist them and because I'm a geek, I would take a picture with my phone with their permission and then see if we can extrapolate things that are around them to try to help facilitate what the, you know, 
what it is, that's that, great what fun. we can find out about it. That's like one example was the, uh, the picture of one of the Bentons. She was an elderly lady, and she, and she may have been in Minnesota. I'm not sure because it was a carport on the side mm. of the house. Yeah. And she was standing next to what I found out later was an electric car. Cool. And the, the photo, I think, was dated, had to be at least 1918 <laughs> because there was a license plate on the car. Now, you couldn't read it with the naked eye, so I took a picture of it with my phone and played with all the settings and brightness and all that other stuff and was able to pull out the license plate year of 1918. That's great. So at least you could <laughs> so you can place at least a time frame. And we're not going to say what it said on the back of it. But she wasn't too, let's just say she was not very fond of that car. <laughs> and she used a certain word to describe it. She said, this is my piece of, and we're not an explicit channel here on, uh, on iTunes, so I can't say the word. But it, it just shows that um, even back in the old days, people didn't like their cars when they didn't work right. <laughs> And again, uh, so that actually showed um, humanity in history. Mm -hmm. You know, people think when you see a picture like that, everyone, first of all, that everybody walked really fast. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, people were very stoic and didn't laugh. And it was almost like watching uh, the father in Mary Poppins. <laughs> you know, where he was a banker and this is the way it is and everything is structured. And it's nice to know that people are people regardless mm -hmm. of the, the era that they're in. So. This really kind of humanized the library for me because, the, you know, these are faces of the people who created this or, like, their family. And uh, it's just been kind of neat because, like I said earlier, you know, I just try to memorize the library's history because people are going to ask me that. Um, but this is different, you know. Like, now Eva Spaulding isn't just a name that I've seen on the old minutes. Um, she, I could see pictures of her house. It's fantastic. Yeah, and see children and cousins mm -hmm. and relatives and and learn about that person's yep. life. And mm -hmm. I, I'm actually really quite happy that I was able to get the pictures to you because we were able to fill in gaps and make connections. It was the one yeah. picture of them at the piano together, I think, in Minnesota, mm -hmm. yep. where the Spaldings and the Bentons were in the same picture. Yep. And that was, what would we call it, the missing link? Yeah, showing that, all that, that the, was the same family. Yeah, that they were all together. And then we did find from there some more confirmation from that. Yeah. It's just awesome. We're just lucky to get paid for this kind of thing. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it crazy? It's Some really days you cool. say, I'm getting paid to do this, really? Yeah. We just had such a blast with it. It was like Christmas when we got the box. Really? It that's so that's cool just great. That makes me happy it. because yeah. it was just sitting in a basement, you know, and who knows what would have happened to it. Well, your dad certainly deserves thanks for, for letting it go because it's really <laughs> cool. And it, it is funny. And later on after the podcast, I still had to take a picture in front of the plaque because that was the... That Absolutely. Was the, is there actually started. a door that opens to get out there, or do you have sort to climb? Sort of. Climbing might be a little easier. <laughs> we may have to climb over the handrail, because if, if we may want to explain, for those of you who don't know, because I didn't know until I came, that used to be the front entrance to the building, right? Yeah, we sort of lost our original grand entrance. We had marble steps in the main front of our library, and then over the years, the library expanded, and um, a side entrance was added that's really a lot less picturesque um, so the plaque used to be right next to the door as you came in there were beautiful columns and globe lights um, it must have been really spectacular but uh, right now it's sort of a closed off porch area <laughs> and we're not quite in the weather here to have the doors open and <laughs> let the you call the it a balcony right it looks more like a balcony it's kind of like a balcony yeah yeah, yeah. it's 
in, certainly in need of restoration. Um, but it is still there, and it's kind of neat that this bronze plaque has been there since the building was built. And I think the actual picture that I had was when they dedicated the building. I wouldn't be surprised. Because, I mean, I don't know that there would be a reason to take the picture mm -hmm. otherwise. It's clearly like an official picture. It's very square on. It's not a snapshot that somebody just happened And to it's take. very clean. Mm -hmm. There's no carbon or any... Cause it, it, what's it made of? Is it made of copper? Or is it made I'd of say it's bronze. Bronze? Because yeah. it doesn't have any of the, the green mm -hmm. kind of yickies. I don't know if you yep. clean the building every year and power wash it or anything. It's but. actually still in really good shape. The, well, the building is. Um, but the plaque itself actually looks really quite good. That's uh, 100 so it's and here, math, uh-oh, math. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I figure if it was 1908, so 18, 17, uh, yeah. 108. Yeah. 108 years old. Yeah. It's, it's in pretty good shape for it's that. It's not so bad, right? <laughs> That's just really crazy. But again, bringing it back towards libraries, you know, it is a good thing that libraries have this stuff accessible. I'm kind of jealous that you have ancestry that's accessible just to cardholders because ours is only in the building. Well, it is only building. available in the building. Oh, okay, but good. To, All right, that to, to library cardholders. <laughs> yeah. Because well, actually, I take that back because usually when you do it remotely, you have to put your library card number in. But because it's yeah. in building in in house, then I guess anybody, anybody who comes in the library can use it. That's how ours is. But it, we were it's really better it's better to have everybody come into the library to use it than to not have it at all. Mm -hmm. Well, because then you can have those discussions. We've actually moved our local history collection sort of since we got Ancestry so that we can have it more accessible so that people, if they're doing local history research and genealogy, they can be near the staff and sort of start the conversation. Maybe they'll have questions. Maybe we can kind of help them with it um, and just kind of make it more of a resource rather than having local history set off in another room and just computers that are sort of portals to anything you want. You know, this way it's yeah. using Ancestry on these specific computers. It's pretty, wow. pretty exciting. This is, it, it really is an exciting thing. And yeah. now people like, you know, Guy Berard can come mm -hmm. in and, and actually access it. Because mm -hmm. I think he actually went to St. Lawrence. There's a university so. very close to here, St. Lawrence University, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And I think he went and reached out to them, too, because yep. one of the children of the Spaldings was actually either a trustee over at the, at the university or he was a chairman of something. Oh, I think so. That something like that. Right. I yeah. forget exactly. We had a long conversation about it. Yeah. I just could, he, there was so much. He was giving me so much information. I couldn't remember it all. It's great. It was, it was absolutely <laughs> He really ran with it. It's, it's really pretty neat. And I mean, it's nice to know that there are other people out there that didn't just look at it and go, ugh, yeah, well, okay, whatever. Absolutely not. Everybody was really excited. We're very excited about the history of our library. And that's great. You should be. I mean, it's a great library. It's a great community. I can just tell just from being here. And I think this uh, event today was really nice. We had that history theme, and um, you could really see people being excited about that. I mean, a lot presenters brought in their scrapbooks um, and it's just kind of like it's talking about our story and it's just a great thing for the library to be able to do we're telling stories it is <laughs> it's, it's, and it is about telling stories as much yeah. as it's about helping people it's yeah. about helping people with you know helping people with stuff mm -hmm. but also helping them to learn in one way shape or form whether it's a class whether it's accessing information from a database whether it's using something like uh, you know ancestry or um, I don't know. Do you have language learning software here too? Do you have like a Mango or a Pronunciator? I'm working on it. <laughs> working on it. <laughs> <laughs> We've been sort of dreaming of it ever since we saw their booth at Nyla. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's pretty effective, and yeah. not to give them a plug, but there are also the apps that are tied to it. That, yeah. You know, yeah. with the port, if you have your portal set up with a library card, they can log in and use it for free as well. But these are just some of the services that you get. I mean, it's not just Google anymore. 
you know. Oh, and it's Google also, you know, yeah, because sure. part of it is, like you said, you're going to Street View. Um, it's kind of using the tools that you have. Right. And I think, you know, this was this is a good example of it. This you is, this can is great. find a lot. <laughs> I mean, just we, and, and Melanie and I, we had um, done the research in a three-hour shift. Wow. That to is the, impressive. To the point, <laughs> where, I mean, we didn't build the entire thing, but we were able to you know, write the names down. In one three-hour shift, we realized it was your library. Wow. That uh, we went to, okay, this is going to sound more, but we went to find a grave and found the, the Spalding's graves up here, which oh, is interesting because yeah. even though they were in Brooklyn, and they seemed very affluent because in the 1900 or 1910 census, uh, they were living in Brooklyn in, I think, either Sunset Park or Flatbush, and they had servants mm -hmm. living with them. Yeah. So they were counted as servants in, in the census. Yeah, I think Frank was a very well-respected teacher, and I think he m must have moved on to be a superintendent of some sort. I think he was, yeah. yeah. I think he moved on to be an administrator. Yeah. And what's interesting, interesting, too, talking about Google uh, and Google Street View, in the, um, in the census, I looked up the address that they had written down in the census, mm -hmm. and the house is still there. That's so cool. And I have a sneaking suspicion, because I also went to Zillow to see when the house was built, and it was built about the time he lived there. So unless somebody built the house and then sold it real quick, which people didn't do back oh. then, he may have been the person that contracted to build the house. It's really cool. So isn't that great? <laughs> and the, the amazing thing is that street, and I wish I knew the name of the street. I'm going to have to, at some point, I'll email it to you. The street looks like it is here. That's great. Upstate. So it's like still preserved. It's all um, Victorian, big front porches, long front doors, Neat. big windows. And you would say to yourself, that's not Brooklyn, <laughs> until you get to the cross streets and you see Flatbush Avenue and you see, well, okay, that's Brooklyn. But then you cross over Flatbush and keep going down the street and it's a tree-lined street and there's all these old Victorian houses. One of uh, our library volunteers, who's the wife of a former mayor here, um, done a lot for the library. Um, in the North Country, you're sort of famous for, um, you don't live in your own house. You live in the house that was owned by the family, maybe two families before you. So Pat, our volunteer, came to me and said, you found some Benton photos. I live in the Benton house. So she lives wow. in a house that was from that family. Now, when she says that, she probably means that they owned it in 1920. Right. Several people have owned it since then, but it's still the Benton house because the original family just kind of gets to own that for like 100 years. That really is neat. <laughs> That's really cool because it, it's almost, um, how, how should I put this? It's not cookie cutter. It's not development. It's not, you know, the house was built in 1973 or 1984 or 2000. This house was built in 1918. Yeah. And it was built by, you know, a particular person. And the fact that you even know who mm -hmm. built the house really neat that uh, some of them hadn't been through that many owners actually um, Guy Berard when he was researching the houses on his road um, it was Eva Spaulding's and I don't think there were that many people in between her and now um, so it's kind of neat for the people who own that house to actually just sort of you know find out oh there's a here's I'm a the picture third of owner house. from 1903 yeah. <laughs> here's your house with you know horse and buggy in front of it uh, you know that's just crazy <laughs> that's just nuts wow well thank you so much for allowing me to come up to be part of the event and, uh, and for actually doing the podcast because in our next segment, we are going to torture you with our 10 questions we ask every guest. Oh. 
So <laughs> if you thought you, this is the quiz part, but there's no wrong answers. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to ask the, uh, our next, um, the, we're going to ask the 10 questions we ask our victims. Uh, and again, I don't have a name for this list. I need a really catchy name. I have, this, I, I have a long drive home, so I'll have to <laughs> try to figure out a name for this. Okay, we will be back in just a minute. We are back with the list of questions I have no title for. So, are you ready? Sure. Okay, now these are, I have to actually say first that these questions were inspired by the website, The Literary Hub, which is a website of uh, very interesting library-related stories and interviews. You can see their publication by visiting www.lithub.com. Check them out because they do some amazing work for librarians in the library world in general. Thank you, Library Hub. Okay, so are you ready? Sure. Okay, these are questions that are library-related. Uh, so, well, we'll just go into the questions. What did you want to be when you were a child, Emily? Um, my parents are artists, and I always liked making things. So I, I pretty much followed the path of being an artist ever since I was a kid. Okay, Krista? I wanted to be a zoologist. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably, you are. I, I get the argument could be made. <laughs> okay, first memory of a library, and who brought you to the, there for the first time? I don't have a first memory of the library because I don't remember not going to the library. I'm sure it was my mom that brought me there. Uh, it was the beautiful Colton Hepburn Library in Colton, um, built around the same time as ours, actually. And we just, we were always there. I started volunteering there when I was 16, but we were at the library at least once a week my whole life. That's cool. Krista? Uh, well, my first memory of the library occurred in um, the school library, actually. I remember having stories read to me and learning the Dewey Decimal System <laughs> uh, in elementary school. Um, but as far as public libraries go, um, it was my uncle, actually, that brought me to the library for the first time and got me my first library card, and that is still my library card. I've held on to nice. it all this no time. No way. Yeah. Well, it so. was actually before they were barcoded, um, so I had to go back and get a barcoded one, but that is the same one that nice. I got, the barcoded one. Keep it forever. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> a picture of the Governor <laughs> Library on the front of it. Awesome. <laughs> it's time to put in the archives, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, when did you decide to become a librarian? I know, Krista, that's a loaded question for you. <laughs> Do you want to go? Oh, um, <laughs> I actually kind of fell into the career. Um, I am not officially in a, library, a librarian yet. Um, I start my graduate degree at Syracuse University this summer, but I started here at the library over 10 years ago and it was just one of those times where I was applying everywhere. <laughs> and I got a call back for here. And um, it was kind of 
fate <laughs> <laughs> because I didn't really know that I wanted to work in a library. I'd spent a lot of my childhood in the library, but it never occurred to me that that was a job path. <laughs> uh, excuse me. So um, kind of fell into it. <laughs> and we got to keep you. <laughs> and you're never leaving. <laughs> so I it seems. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> um. I decided to become a librarian when I realized that there is not money in art unless you are my parents who have made a living from it for many years. Um, I actually, I went to school for art and um, as soon as I graduated, I sort of looked around and thought I need a job and applied at libraries because that was just sort of what I knew even uh -huh. after having spent four years doing something else. Um, and I just have uh, continued on that ever since. I worked as a clerk for quite a while, and as a clerk, I kept finding that I wanted to know more, and that's why I got a library degree, because I thought that that would teach me more. Well, you actually tie into our next question. So what did you want to be before you wanted to be a librarian? Was there a before? Not when you were a kid, but like, what did you go to college for, that kind of thing? Well, for me, it was art. Um, and actually, I had a sort of short career as a teenager as a professional doll artist. There was a bit of an art doll boom in the late 90s, and I actually sold enough dolls to pay for part of my college. Wow. It was kind of weird. That's unique. Yeah. No, I haven't looked back since. <laughs> I like <laughs> You are an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep unfolding like an onion. <laughs> um... Zoologist. I was going to say zoologist. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, by the time I grew out of the zoologist thing, I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life at all. I uh, had gone to college for liberal arts, <laughs> just to accent that point. Um, wow. Yeah, I had no plan. Our library actually has trained quite a lot of proto-librarians. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting that among our teens, we can often spot the people who are going to come back to us as a library yep. career later. Yep. So you tag them and then you track you them and then they come back? Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of our <laughs> children's room staff members actually used to be one of my teens. Mm -hmm. He was in the teen programs and eventually just came back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just stayed. A couple of them are in library school now, I think. At least yep. one is in library school now. Yep. And then I, we've got a, our eye on a couple teens that, yep. you know, they've... They've got the bug. That's <laughs> great. They'll be back. <laughs> That's excellent. That's really cool. Okay, here's a question that not a lot of people have an answer to. Who is your favorite fictional librarian? Oh, I have this one. <laughs> I'm not surprised, actually. <laughs> Rupert Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Best fictional librarian ever. Wow. We have a winner, a passionate winner. <laughs> it's really hard to counteract that. No, you can't. I was set to go with Rex Libris from iLibrarian. Okay, because I really I, re <laughs> I don't know. I really relate to Thoth. He loves pastries, as do I. I dislike vampires. <laughs> I'm alright with vampires sometimes. You guys are great. Let me try I'm coming up here more often. I'm glad you gave us these scripts beforehand. It's hard to study. <laughs> okay, so... Um, what would you be doing if you were not a librarian? Um, I have an answer to this. I would be working at least three jobs to pay off my library fines <laughs> because I'm a horrible library patron. <laughs> I've said this for a long time, and people think I'm joking. 
not. <laughs> I think a lot of librarians are bad library patrons. Mm-hmm. I am, I but I wasn't before I worked in a library. <laughs> I remember nearly having a breakdown as a child because I was late bringing a book back. <laughs> I felt so guilty. <laughs> oh, that's really funny. <laughs> I'd probably be working in a different nonprofit if not here. Um, probably with troubled teens because I like teens better than adults usually. I get that. I understand that. (laughs) Okay, so what's your favorite section of the library? Now, if you look on my script, we don't use scripts, by the way, but on my script, (laughs) it says beside the section that's assigned to you. That's probably geared towards more Long Island because you have a section you have to cultivate and, you know, and weed and collection development and stuff. Yeah, I think technically all the sections of the library are assigned to me in a way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I have to say that my favorite section is um, I'm a huge cookbook nerd, so I can always be found in the cookbook section. Um, Wishing that we had more cookbooks, basically. It's (laughs) funny because in most libraries I've worked in, the cookbook section is one of the largest. Oh, it's not mm-hmm. cookbook, it's cookery, remember? Oh, yeah, I don't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, uh, the cookery section just goes on and yeah. on and on and on. I wish ours did that. In fact, I, I kind of <laughs> wish we just had a room of cookbooks. <laughs> and I would read them all and not return them on time. <laughs> Krista, the answer is not zoology. <laughs> <laughs> it's also not YA fiction. <laughs> um, I read a lot of YA fiction uh, for work. So I, um, I would have to say that my favorite section is any section other than YA. I often fantasize about adult fiction <laughs> and being able to read something there. Used to be fantasy, but now I just like to read anything adult. You're not allowed. I'm not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Too much YA fiction. Okay, the next question is kind of a loaded question. What do you love about your library? And I can just tell just from speaking with both of you today. I don't think there is anything you don't love about your library. <laughs> yeah, that's that's. I can see it in your with. face. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's not except that we don't have enough space. Yeah, that's basically it. Or yeah. money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but that's not really our library's fault. No, no, it's not, not your library's fault. I love our staff. <laughs> yeah, we have an incredibly compassionate staff. Yep. Um, and it's just really inspiring to see our interaction with our community. And that, I have to say that's my favorite part. And I like that our staff has, um, we have sort of diverse expertise. And I just think that's really neat, um, especially because we're not all in a traditional library position. Um, but everybody here has a real niche. And they get a chance to uh, show off the knowledge that they have, that they've just gained from their life by being really cool people. Well, isn't that interesting, too, because I think that is almost a qualification to be a librarian, is to have something that you bring to the mm-hmm. profession. Because anybody can sit at a reference desk and answer a reference question. Mm-hmm. It's the way that they do it. And the, you can have two people answer the same reference question and have completely different methodology mm-hmm. to it. Yep. So yeah, I think that's really important. It's yeah. like an information potluck. Yeah. 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 I, and I think you mentioned at one point that our, our library is very good at um, Sometimes in answering reference questions, we recommend people instead mm-hmm. of books. Like somebody comes in asking a gardening question. Oh, you want to talk to Val? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Just because this, like this living library event, you know, sometimes the person is like a book. Yep. And you can always keep come back and talk to that person again when you have another question. Yep. It's awesome. Viking history. You want to talk to Sam? Absolutely. You do. <laughs> <laughs> and what's cool is that our patrons are like that too. 
and that's kind of why we did this event today. Um, we love talking to our patrons. Yes. <laughs> we learn so much from them. And I think, you know, if I had to pick a thing that I like about the library, it's the people that are involved in it. Oh, yes. I mean, we just, we have the best patrons. We have the best conversations. <laughs> and, like, we wanted people to be able to check that out. Yes. <laughs> Like, yep. We want to give this conversation to other people. Well, too. have you considered doing just just take a second mm -hmm. um, to do like a living history? Because uh, we're doing that at Sachem now, where we're mm -hmm. taking people who have history in in the community, talking about different things, mm -hmm. and sitting down with them with a video camera mm -hmm. and cool. asking them questions and having them tell their story, and then making it an archive that you can access. That's cool. I think that might be like a neat thing for us to do because we sort of yeah. just got access to like recording equipment. And I would uh, love that for that happening. to be the next step yeah. of the living library um, yeah. once we get everybody comfortable with the concept. Yes. Right. Yeah, right. And, and, it, and if they're not comfortable with the video, I mean, you can do something like what just we're audio. doing here. It's, mm -hmm. it's really not that hard at all. I mean, we talked about it earlier. Yeah. It's yeah. really neat. And it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, far in the past history like sometimes cool history is happening right now yeah. and people not might not necessarily think that their story is interesting right um, when we put this event together people are they're so modest you know they <laughs> would say well we don't have anything good, like interesting to say i don't have a presentation um and they're fascinating these are people that come up to our desk and we'll end up talking to them for an hour <laughs> just because they're cool they're <laughs> really interesting um so we, sometimes we had to do a little convincing because people didn't think that their story was interesting enough to be told yeah we know better well you know that's that's a great time to the next question too are you reading the script <laughs> actually no i forgot who to is that. your favorite regular patron because we all have a favorite i don't know that's a tough question sounds like you have a list yeah, yeah we have so many one of them was here today um, she is enough of a favorite that when she went on vacation without telling us, we got really scared and called her house because <laughs> we were afraid something had happened to her. Uh, she's really fantastic. Had the sheriff go visit, make sure everything we was okay. We didn't go that far, but if she had been on vacation for any longer, we might have. <laughs> we're really worried. I'm very attached to my teens. Mm -hmm. All of them. Yeah. I love them. U UYA types always are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes a special breed to be a YA librarian. <laughs> you can say that. Okay, and the final question. What are people without library cards missing out on? I mean, they're missing out on saving money. That's like the bottom line. I mean, we're cool people to talk to. We love their stories. We have nice stuff. Uh, but your library card saves you money. And that's kind of, it's kind of a waste to not have that because it's right here. It's already paid for. Right. Might as well just get it. And if you're living in the community, you're already paying taxes mm -hmm. towards it, so you yeah, might as exactly. well get your money's worth out of it. Yeah. And if you, th I mean, I can't speak for up here, but I can mm -hmm. say on Long Island, we are the best deal in town. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. exactly. So, I mean, down for us, you're paying between $300 and $500 a year for, for a library service on average. Okay. And for what you get out of that, just in DVDs alone, right. you get more, you know, if you use the library regularly and just in programming too. And for us up here, you pay about $50 a year. So, okay. I mean, that's... So that's an even yeah. better bargain. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of hard to beat. If you yeah. have yeah, exactly. a book or two a year, you know, you've paid for it already. That's amazing. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, the, the value of library, um, I think, is something that gets lost with people sometimes. We all lead mm -hmm. busy lives. We have 100 things to do. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea that there is value to a library... 
is is I think something that more people need to know about. Yep. And you know, it, it's always a good idea. Do you guys do a newsletter that you send out monthly, quarterly? Um, we have a weekly newspaper column. Okay. So we kind of do that in our local newspaper. Okay. Um, and you just kind of do people do people bring the clipping in or talk about what they see at they the do. newspaper? <laughs> they do. <laughs> yes. We have some regulars that always bring the clipping in and say, That's hey, great. we saw that you were in the paper. That's great. <laughs> well, you guys have been yeah. really good sports with my list and with entertaining me here with the podcast. <laughs> it's been a blast. And I really want to thank both of you and, and the whole library community for welcoming me. I I've never shaken that many hands in, in such a short period of time. We're so happy to have you here. And, and have upstate people actually like a downstater. It's actually <laughs> a really nice thing. Oh, we're very friendly. <laughs> so I want to say thank you again to the Canton Free Library. Thank and to you Emily well. and to Krista for being my unwitting guests today. <laughs> and don't forget, Bob will be back for our next episode. And I uh, just wanted to say that that's all the time we have for for this section because I have to drive home in for seven, almost eight hours. So uh, it's going to be fun. But anyway, if you have any questions or comments about our show, please go to the Contact Us section of the website, thelibrarypros.com, where we'll also have notes and links from today's episodes. We didn't have any links today, did we? Well, you can always visit our library at cantonfreelibrary.org. We are going to put that there, definitely. <laughs> And you can also, because I don't turn the page of a page to my script, you can also, don't forget, check us out on Twitter, at The Library Pros, and on Facebook, at facebook.com slash thelibrarypros. And so you don't miss a thing. Don't forget to subscribe to our RSS feed, our iTunes, Android, and email links from our website so you can subscribe and listen on your device. And coming soon, Google Play, if you believe all the news out there in the tech world, they're coming next week. Also, if you just want to listen to the podcast without all that technology nonsense, just go to our website and click on the podcast episode you want to listen to, and you can listen to it right on the website. So it cuts out all the middlemen. So in our next episode, we are going to have Nick Tanzi. Nick Tanzi is an amazing guy. He's a technology services librarian at the Mastic Marich's Shirley Community Library and the author of the book, Making the Most of, the digital, of digital Collections Through... Training and Outreach, an Innovative Librarian's Guide. Could he make it any longer? He's also going to be discussing uh, technology that he's involved with at the Mastic Marich's Shirley Community Library and how important it is to conduct outreach and have staff that is really well trained. He's also uh, an expert in 3D printing, and he's going to talk a lot about how uh, his library has opened a new technology center. So... One thing we always have to remember is that the opinions stated by the library pros and their guests are solely those of Chris and Bob, if Bob was here, uh, and not those of the Sachem Public Library, the, <coughs> the Emma Clark Library, the Canton Free Library, or any other library. So with that, we are going to say goodbye for now. And thank you again to Canton for hosting us today and for having me come today for your beautiful event. Until we see you next time, take care.
<laughs> it's 